All right, a brief word before we get started. This brief word is to ask you for your help. So in 2014, Ascension began producing digital content with which you are familiar. So YouTube videos and podcasts and articles. And since then, it's only ramped up. The purpose of this content is to help you grow in your faith and to give you resources to help others do the same. Uh, so it's like every week there are 18 videos and podcasts released, which are a kind of expose of the truth, the goodness, the beauty of God and of his church and of his sacraments and of all those things that he puts at our disposition to grow in the knowledge and love of him. So while this content is free to consume, it is not free to make. So we're asking you to consider making a financial gift to help offset some of the costs of production associated with, you know, Ascension Presents YouTube channel and Bible in a Year, this podcast, other things besides. So if you or someone you know has benefited personally from Ascension's work, please consider making a gift. Any amount is truly appreciated and will go towards production costs, and all that's associated with that. So to make a gift, please visit ascensionpress.com support or click the link in the description. Again, that is ascensionpress.com support. I feel like the cantor at the beginning of mass. Welcome. Today is the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our celebrant is Father Gregory, and you can find your opening hymn at 876. Again, that's 876. No, it's ascensionpress.com slash support. So whether you're able to support uh, the work financially or not, please keep the entire Ascension team in your prayers as they continue to do the work of God. And as, yeah, things just keep going further up and further in to the glory that awaits us all. All right, prayers for you. Please pray for us. Cheers. Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text intro to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is day 27. Today we will be reading part 3, Certain Counsels for the Practice of the Virtues, chapters 29 through 30, pages 307 through 315 in the Ascension edition of this book. Before we get into the reading, let's take a quick look at what we'll be covering today. St. Francis de Sales has been moving us along through navigating our various relationships. We spent time considering friendships, good ones and bad ones, our living and working in the world and society, and now he is taking us through how we ought to react or behave in our social relationships with other people. Last episode, we began to talk about judgment, how it's a necessary part of our human functioning, but also how it might go astray, especially with hasty judgments. In today's reading, St. Francis asks us to consider how our hasty judgments might come to bear on our relationships, specifically the way in which we talk about other people. Let's say a quick prayer and start in. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 29. On Detraction 
Rash judgment begets mistrust, contempt for our neighbor, pride, self-satisfaction, and a hundred other most pernicious effects, among which detraction holds the first place as the true plague which infects human conversation. Oh, that I had one of the burning coals of the holy altar to touch to the lips of men, so that their iniquities might be taken away and their sin cleansed, in imitation of the seraph who purified the mouth of Isaiah. Whoever robs his neighbor of his good name, in addition to the sin he commits, is obligated to make reparation in various ways, depending upon what kind of detraction was involved. For no man can enter heaven with the goods of another man, and among all external goods, the first and best is a good name. Detraction is a kind of murder, for we have three lives, spiritual life, which consists in the grace of God, bodily, which depends on the soul, and the civil, which consists in our good name. Sin deprives us of the first, death takes away the second, and detraction robs us of the third. The detractor, however, by one blow struck by his tongue, generally speaking, commits three murders. He kills his own soul and that of the person who listens, and by a spiritual homicide takes away the civil life of the person whom he slanders. For as St. Bernard says, both he who detracts and he who hearkens the detractor each have the devil about them, the one upon his tongue and the other in his ear. David, speaking of detractors, says, they make their tongue sharp as a serpent's. Now, as Aristotle says, the serpent's tongue is forked and has two points. The same is true of the detractor's tongue as well. At one stroke, stinging and poisoning the ear of the hearer and the reputation of the person about whom he speaks. Therefore, my dear Philothea, I earnestly counsel you, never slander anyone, either directly or indirectly. Take heed not to impute false crimes and sins to your neighbor, and do not expose those which are unknown, nor aggravate those which are manifest, nor give his works an evil meaning, nor dissemble them maliciously, nor explain them away. For in all these ways you will greatly offend God, though most of all by false accusations and denying the truth to the prejudice of your neighbor. For it is a double sin to lie and hurt your neighbor at one and the same time. Those who preface their detractions by protesting that they have respect for those about whom they speak, perhaps interspersing little compliments and jokes, are the subtlest and most venomous of all detractors. They say, I assure you, I love him. Yes, in other respect, he is a worthy man, but yet truth be told, he was evil when he did such a treacherous deed. She is a very virtuous girl, but, alas, she was captured, and such like little embellishments. Do you not perceive the artifice? The archer draws the arrow as near to himself as he can, but he does so only in order that he may shoot it with greater force. So, too, these detractors seem to draw the detraction toward themselves, only then to discharge it the harder, so that it may pierce more deeply into the hearts of their hearers. Detraction uttered in the shape of a joke is still more cruel than all the rest. For just as hemlock is not of itself a very strong poison and can be easily remedied, nonetheless being incurable when taken with wine, so too detraction, which of itself might, as they say, pass quickly in at one ear and out at the other, nonetheless affixes itself in the brain of the hearers when it is couched under some subtle and merry joke. In the words of David, they have the venom of serpents under their lips. The serpent's bite is almost imperceptible, and its venom at first produces a kind of stimulation by which the heart and the bowels expand and receive the poison, against which there is afterwards no remedy.
Do not say that this or that person is a drunkard, even if you have seen him drunk, nor that he is an adulterer, because he has been overtaken by that sin, nor that he is incestuous, even if he has been found in this evil as well. For a single act does not necessarily imply habit. The sun stood still once on behalf of Joshua's victory, and was darkened another time on behalf of our Savior's victory. Yet no one will therefore say that the sun is either immovable or dark. Noah was drunk once, and Lot another time, yet neither of them was a drunkard. Nor was St. Peter bloody-minded for having once shed blood, nor a blasphemer, though he's once blasphemed. To bear the name of a vice or a virtue, one must have made progress in it. It must be habitual. It is then a distortion to say that this or that man is passionate or a thief because we have seen him once in a passion or guilty of stealing. Even if a man has for a long time been vicious, nonetheless, we are in danger of slandering him if we call him vicious. Simon the leper called Magdalene a sinner because she had been so long before. However, this was a lie, for no longer was she a sinner, but rather a most holy penitent. Therefore, our Savior came to her defense. The vain Pharisee judged the humble publican to be a great sinner, or even perhaps an unjust man, an adulterer, an extortioner, but he too was greatly deceived, for even at that very moment was the publican justified. Ah, since the goodness of God is so immense that only one moment is needed in order for someone to pray for and receive his grace, what assurance can we have that he who was yesterday a sinner is so today? The day that is past should not judge the present day, nor the present day that which is past. Judgment will be passed upon all only on the last day. Therefore, we can never say a man is wicked without danger of lying. All that we can say, if we must say anything, is that he did this or that bad action or lived wickedly at this time or that particular time, or that he does evil at present. However, we must never draw consequences from yesterday to this day, nor from this day to yesterday much less to tomorrow. But though we must be extremely cautious not to speak ill of our neighbor, nonetheless we must avoid the opposite extreme, into which some fall who, in order to avoid the sin of detraction, commend and speak well of vice. If a person is indeed a detractor, do not excuse him by saying that he is frank and thoughtless. If a person is notoriously vain, do not say that he is genteel and elegant. Never call dangerous familiarity simple and innocent, nor varnish disobedience with the name of zeal, nor arrogance with the name of freedom, nor lust with the name of friendship. No, my dear Philothea, in seeking to avoid the vice of detraction, we must not favor, flatter, or cherish other vices. Rather, we must wholly and freely call evil evil, and blame that which is deserving of blame, for in doing this we glorify God, provided we observe the following conditions. To speak uprightly about another person's vices, it is necessary that it be truly beneficial either for the person in question or for those to whom we are speaking. For instance, one may indeed tell girls about the indiscreet familiarities of a given person, which are manifestly dangerous, or about clearly improper liberties taken by this or that person in word or deed. If I do not freely blame the evil, but rather excuse it, the tender souls who hear it may think that they are free to do likewise. Therefore, their true benefit requires that I should freely critique these liberties on the spot, unless I could put off this good deed to a better time with less detriment to the persons spoken of on some other occasion. Besides this, it is also necessary that it should belong to me to speak about this subject as one of the chief members of the company gathered together, such that if I did not speak, it would look as though I approved of the vice. 
However, if I am one of the least members thereof, I should not take it upon myself to register such a censure. However, above all, it is necessary that I should be exactly just in my words, so as not to say even one word beyond what is necessary. For example, if I blame the familiarity of this young man and that young woman, judging it to be indiscreet and dangerous, Philothea, I must hold the balance so even as not to exaggerate the matter by a single grain. Should there be only a slight appearance, I will not call it anything more than that. If nothing other than some mere indiscretion, I will not call it anything worse. And should there be neither indiscretion nor real appearance of evil, but only something that a malicious person may use as a pretext for speaking ill, then I will either say nothing whatever, or merely the fact that it could be misjudged and nothing more. While I am speaking of my neighbor, my tongue is in my mouth like a razor in the hand of a surgeon who wishes to cut between nerves and tendons. My cut must be so accurate that I say neither more nor less than the truth. In short, any time that we ascribe blame to any vice, our principal care must be to spare, as much as possible, the person in whom it is found. True, we may speak freely of infamous, public, and notorious sinners, provided that we do so in the spirit of charity and compassion, and not with arrogance and presumption, nor with a kind of joy in the sin of others, something only done by vile and mean hearts. When it comes to such people, however, exception must be made for the open enemies of God and his church, such as the sects of heretics and schismatics, along with their ringleaders, since it is charity to cry out against the wolf when he is among the sheep. We must decry them as much as we can wherever we see occasion. Everyone takes the liberty to censure princes and to speak ill of whole nations, merely depending on the various occasions they feel regarding of them. Philothea, do not commit this fault, for besides being an offense to God, it also could well involve you in a thousand quarrels. Whenever you hear anyone spoken ill of, think the accusation doubtful if you can do so justly, and if you cannot, excuse the intention of the person being accused. If you cannot do that, then express compassion for him and turn the discussion to a different topic, remembering yourself and recalling to the company there that they who do not fall owe all thanks to God. Recall the detractor to himself with meekness, and declare some good action of his, if you know of any. Chapter 30. Further Counsels on Discourse Let your speech be meek, frank, sincere, open, simple, and truthful. Guard yourself from equivocations, artifices, and dissimulations, for although it may not be advisable to say all sorts of truths at all times, nonetheless it is never permissible that we speak something contrary to the truth. Therefore accustom yourself never to tell a lie deliberately, either by way of excuse or in any other way, remembering that God is the God of truth. Should you tell a lie unknowingly and know that you can correct it on the spot by some immediate explanation or retraction, then do so. An honest explanation always has more grace and power for gaining excuse than does a lie. Even though one may sometimes discreetly and prudently disguise and cover the truth by some sleight of words, nonetheless this can only be done when the glory and service of God manifestly requires it. In any other case, such artifices are dangerous, for as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with the deceitful. No artifice is so good and desirable as plain speech. Worldly prudence and carnal artifice belong to the children of this world, whereas the children of God walk along the straight ways with hearts that have no guile. 
As the wise man says, he who walks in integrity walks securely. Lying, double-dealing, and dissimulation are always signs of a weak and vile spirit. St. Augustine, in the fourth book of his Confession, said that his soul and that of his friend were but one soul, and that he abhorred this life after his friend died because he was not willing to live as a half-man. And yet, for the same reason, too, he did not wish to die, for he did not want his friend to wholly die. Later in his life, these words seemed too artificial and affected, so that he revoked and censured them in his retractions, calling them foolish. See, Philothea, the tenderness of this holy and beautiful soul with respect to the least affectation of his words. Fidelity, plainness, and sincerity of speech are great ornaments in the Christian life. I will guard my ways, said David, that I may not sin with my tongue. And again, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. St. Louis held that one should not contradict anyone in conversation unless agreement were either sinful or very harmful. This is to avoid all contentions and disputes. But if we should find it necessary to contradict anyone or to oppose our own opinion to that of another, we must do so with such meekness and dexterity as not to exasperate his spirit, and all the more so since nothing is ever gained by harshness. To speak little, something so highly recommended by wise men of old, must not be understood to mean that we should utter only a few words, but rather that we should not speak many unprofitable words. For in the matter of speaking, one does not regard quantity as much as quality. However, in my opinion, we ought to avoid both extremes. For when we act too reserved and severe, refusing to share in the familiar chatting that goes on in conversation, we will either look as though we lacked confidence in the company gathered or felt disdain for it. And on the other hand, to be always babbling and making light conversation, thereby affording neither leisure nor opportunity for others to speak, is the mark of a shallow and frivolous spirit. St. Louis condemned whispering and talking aside in company, particularly at table, lest it should give other occasion to suspect that some evil was spoken of them. He who is at table, he said, in good company and has something to say that is merry and pleasant, ought to speak it so that everybody may hear him. If it is an important matter, he ought not talk about it at all. So St. Francis de Sales focuses, as we were just setting up, on hasty judgments, but in these chapters, particularly on judgments um, that then, I guess we could say, manifest or come to bear in our speech, how we talk about other people. So pretty simple, right? That we we may see someone doing this or that. Um, we may judge hastily, and then that may lead us to talk about them. And St. Francis is concerned here, uh, I guess we could say, two ways, right? One, how that affects us, how this bad speech affects the speaker, so the one who commits the sin, but also how that speech affects our neighbor. So he talks about, in particular, the sin of of slander. But before, I I don't know, before we talk about slander in particular and kind of wade through some of what St. Francis is talking about, Father Gregory, um, maybe let's talk a bit about like sins of speech in general. Why, you know, we might think, oh, it's not that bad. You know, I'm not murdering people. I'm not, you know, stealing hundreds of thousands of millions of paper clips or like whatever. Um, you know, that's always a temptation of mine. But let's talk about like sins of speech in general, where they fall, why St. Francis is kind of, you know, focusing on on this as being important for the devout life. Sure, yeah. So I think that um, we talked in the last episode 
about the difference between judging people and judging things. When you judge things, it's like, okay, you judged a thing. Now, might you have been like unnecessarily harsh with your judgment? Perhaps, but the thing isn't going to suffer as a result. But if you're unnecessarily harsh in your judgment of another human being, well, they could suffer as a result. And there are a variety of ways in which they could suffer. Because, you know, among the person's possessions, some of the most precious are their good name, their reputation, their friendships, their ease uh, of like social communication. And if you sin against them in speech, you can really undermine those goods. So in the tradition, the Catholic tradition, when we talk about sins of speech, we're usually concerned with, okay, is it something that I'm confronting the person with directly? Because that's one thing. It's kind of like an act of violence. Or is it something that I'm doing secretly? All right. And if I'm doing it secretly, what am I trying to undermine? Am I trying to undermine their good name, their friends, their connections, or whatever it is? And so that helps us to make more fine-grained judgments as to what's going on and why it might be morally blameworthy or why it might need to be reined in. So when he's talking about slander, he's talking about, you know, unjustly taking away the good name of another individual because, you know, in doing so, you might prevent him from making helpful business connections or operating in the public space or whatever it is, right? So that's just the kind of groundwork I think that he has in place. Yeah, and it's it's interesting or I found it interesting in in reading St. Francis here that this isn't a light issue for him. I think we often like, it's easy to make excuses for these kind of things of like, oh, I was just chatting with a friend and, you know, or like, well, he's a bad person anyways. And and St. Francis, as we heard, kind of highlights these, um, what, like these excuses that we might make that kind of trivialize slander and, and like sins of speech. But he's pretty clear that this is, these sort of things are he likens it to murder that you that you kill somebody in doing that you're a murderer in slanding somebody. You know, he talks about this sort of like these three sort of lives that we have as human beings. We have our spiritual life, and that's destroyed by sin. And we have our bodily life, and that's destroyed by death. But we also have like our civic life, our life amongst um, society, and that's destroyed by slander. That's killed by slander. So he's super concerned with this way of talking about others because as Father Gregory was saying, there's, you know, when when someone's good name is ruined, there are all sorts of implications from his ability to function in society with respect to work, with respect to relationships, his own family life. And I think the the sort of linchpin here is that that we don't have the full picture, right? Like we don't know all things. We don't know all the details of a particular situation, even though we might observe something that's what, like less than wholesome or whatever. But we also don't know like the wholeness of somebody's heart. So there's a great deal of a sort of, I think we talked about in a previous episode, a sort of like agnosticism when it comes to these kind of things where you you don't want to, like you don't want to risk ruining someone else's name or also ruining, again, that other part, like ruining your own sort of spiritual well-being and health by slandering or by becoming like a detractor, like habitually, those sort of things. So he he doesn't take it lightly. I don't know what do you we as we've been reading through. There have been a lot of things we've talked about, like purifications and mortifications, and these things can sound harsh to the ear. And we've talked about that. That okay, well, what does that mean? It's not like the end of the world. These things are good and necessary parts. Here too, it seems very extreme. With you know, to be called a murderer. What do you what do you make of that, Father Gregory? Are you kind of like put off by that? Do you? It's like no, he's right, and everybody, you know. Yeah, we're, I don't know. It's just kind of, I'm trying to situate it in my own kind of mind, you know? 
Yes. So I think about this as I think about most things uh, along the lines of how St. Thomas Aquinas treats them. So St. Francis de Sales would have read St. Thomas Aquinas. And when he's working his way through the Christian tradition, I imagine he's thinking about a lot of these issues in light of how that tradition has been communicated to him by these greats of the medieval church. And when St. Thomas talks about it, he talks about it in terms of injustice. And some of the first big ticket items that he treats when he considers injustices are murder and then like bodily violence or mutilation and then theft and robbery. And then he takes a little pause where he talks about courtroom situations and then he just picks up with sins of speech. So in St. Thomas's estimation, these things are intimately related because it's rare that we have occasion or that we have temptation to commit these big ticket injustices, whereas these daily things, these kind of mundane things are often far more seductive. And if we're honest with ourselves, we find them seductive because, well, we like them, right? Because we find it gratifying to be in the know. We find it gratifying to compare ourselves to others, especially when we profit by the comparison and to bring other people down so that we might be exalted in turn. And until we're willing to confront that fact, we're not really willing to confront the fact of our own sinfulness because we're going to be doing all kinds of shadow games in the background where we try to buoy ourselves up or buffer ourselves from the reality of our own weakness and woundedness. So when St. Francis de Sales really puts a point on it, he's trying to help us to confront the fact of our own woundedness and weakness, which is a good thing to confront, albeit terrible, right? But good insofar as the way of salvation passes through that confrontation. So if our consciences are going to be illumined and if our hearts are going to be encouraged in the pursuit of righteousness, we need to just simply say, okay, I'm inclined to gossip, detraction, slander, you know, sins of speech of whatever sort, which are sometimes called all kinds of wild names in the tradition, reviling and contumely and derision and mockery and scorn and cur whatever. There's all kinds of names for sins of speech as they concern the different facets of human reality. But until we train our tongues, like the letter of James says, we're going to find it very, very difficult to train our minds and hearts. So yeah, it's worth taking seriously. Yeah, and that thing, the, the thing that you were just saying too, that, you know, we often don't have opportunity to sort of fall into sin and vice in, in big ways, like, you know, where murder is a pretty rare thing you hear in the confessional, you know, but like sins of speech, pride all, all the time. You, you can think of it in terms of, um, of just the opposite of growing in virtue and growing in devotion, that, that, that growth in devotion is, it takes, you know, little steps as we grow, but it builds habits and it builds virtue in us. So too, on, on the side of vice, like th these things are attractive, like Father Gregory, you were just saying, but they also, over time, they erode, you know, they might not, perhaps it's a venial matter. Perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. But, you know, even if it is, it still erodes. It still, you know, accustoms us to act in this way. Um, so it's worth thinking about it in those terms. I guess one last thing I want us to consider, or I think is worth our consideration on on these chapters, is considering the difference or even asking the question, is there a difference between slander, gossip, and sort of conversation or venting? Or, you know, you, when you're frustrated with somebody, talking to a friend about that frustration, or, you know, can we never say anything about anybody else? Or is there is there a distinction? I guess, what, what would you counsel there, Father Gregory? Yeah, I would say that it will depend on who you are, who you're talking with, and who you're talking about. So who you are, um, I think it's good to know yourself temperamentally. There are some people who just need to externalize in order to process. 
And until such time as they externalize, they feel all bottled up and repressed. So I think it's good, you know, to kind of manage that. Then the next question is with whom you're talking? Like, are you able to talk with somebody who's a trusted confidant, who is discreet, who knows you well and is able to cast a kind of critical gaze on some of your judgments? Like reflect back to you what it is that you think and what it is that you love and do so in a way that encourages you in your pursuit of righteousness? Or is this person just going to validate everything you say, regardless of whether or not it's true? And then who you're talking about. I mean, I think it's good to encourage a culture of transparency or to encourage a culture of like responsibility. Uh, but I also think that um, just because somebody's far off doesn't give us permission to, you know, engage in slander or gossip or calumny of whatever sort, or just because you know, somebody has a great deal of responsibilities doesn't mean that we can indulge in criticism that might undermine their leadership role. Like we just need to be conscious of the place that that person occupies, you know, how well or poorly they might be conducting their affairs, but to be sensitive to the fact that they need a certain dignity in order to carry out the office. I'm thinking here of like the things that you see on the internet that make fun of politicians. Okay, it's like fun to kind of sneer and scorn, uh, but a lot of these videos are edited in just such a way that they can lead to no other conclusion. Like, is that a good thing to indulge in? Maybe not, okay? Um, or when it comes to somebody like who really can't operate apart from having a good reputation, you know, you want to be especially discreet about that. Like you're in a small startup company and it's fragile and you, you know, maybe suspect something about the boss that could call it into question. Okay, you better be sure when you go forward with, you know, your discussions with other people in the company of what it is that you're going to lay claim to know, you know, because you could really ruin the whole thing. So does that mean cover things up until such time as they blow up? No, 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 I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that we should have pause depending on the dignity or the state of the responsibilities of the person concerned. Boom. As you might say, <laughs> there you have it. Well, I think that, you know, that kind of does a pretty good job of summarizing today. The, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting to hear or to read St. Francis again, proposing like sins of speech as something akin to murder. You know, that seems strong. It seems extreme. And there have been moments throughout our reading when at first blush, we might've thought, wow, this seems strong or extreme or it's old fashioned, you know, it doesn't. But as we listen to him, it, it makes sense. It makes sense to approach these perhaps vices or temptations with a great deal of caution because of their, one, because of the severity of the outcome, but also because of their sort of eroding nature over time and, and kind of how it builds vicious habits in us. So yeah, in your own lives, consider how it is that you interact uh, with other people and about other people, if that makes sense. Talk about other people and that sort of thing. It's it's worth a relook for sure. So that's what we have for you today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining. There you'll find weekly episodes on a whole variety of Catholic themes with some guests, some scriptural meditations, and different special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. As always, know of our prayers for you please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.